Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. How often do you install liners? Not often. I've done maybe 10. I did three, three last year, and I did about six this year. And every liner okay. that I installed fit, fit properly. It was an easy install. Is a snap-in liner something new for you or no? This is the plaintiff, Rich Brown. He says he hired the defendant to install a new liner in his pool. And when he started the job, the defendant told him the liner was the wrong size and it wouldn't fit. He then left his pool in disarray and didn't reinstall the top rails of the pool. And the walls collapsed. He hired another guy who installed that very same liner, which was the correct size. And is now suing the defendant for the $2,900 he had to spend to put his pool back together. This is the defendant. Steve Vogt. He says the pool walls were already collapsing when he arrived to do the work because there was no water in the pool. In addition, the plaintiff purchased the wrong size liner and it didn't fit. He told him he would come back when he got the right size and then the next thing he knows he's being sued for ruining the guy's pool? No way. He's accused of draining a customer. All parties. Please hit your right hand. What you are about to witness is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in civil court. Both parties have agreed to drop their claims and have their cases settled here before Judge Marilyn Millian in our forum, the People's Court. People's Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Marilyn Millian is presiding. Litigants have been sworn, Your Honor. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Okay. Mr. Brown, you have a pool. I guess it's one of... What kind of pool do you have that it has a liner? It's an above-ground pool. An above-ground pool. And how did you... Your liner, your previous liner had been there for how long? Eight years. We purchased the pool April of 2012. All right. Now, uh, did you decide on your own, or did someone tell you you needed a new liner? Decided on my own. Okay, where did you get the new liner from? Great Escape is actually, that's where we bought our pool from. Okay, so, uh, but they could not install the liner for you? Um, I guess I didn't ask that question. I called my pool place, and they're the ones that recommended the defendant. Uh, the people where okay. I buy my oh. chemicals from. Okay, so you call the people who you buy your chemicals from, they recommend the defendant as someone who can change a liner. What happens? You hire him, and how much are you supposed to pay him for the job? Uh, it was between three and $400. Between three and $400. Okay, and what happens? Both my boys was there. His brother was there. Um, we ended up helping him take the liner out, and I had to end up hauling it away, and... Supposedly, he said it was the wrong liner. That it he wasn't said the new one. You hauled away the old liner, and he says that the new liner wasn't going to work. Um, how did he conclude that? Was he trying to fit it in and couldn't? What What was it that made him conclude that? Do you know? I'm I'm assuming it was from that seam that was on the bottom. That was like six inches from the bottom. 
And he said it was way too short. I don't know. That's why I hired somebody to do it, because I don't do them. Right. So. Okay. Well, what I'm was assuming... wrong with the liner, Mr. Fote? Tell me what was wrong with the liner. Well, I'll tell you, Your Honor. Um, normally, how you install a liner is you unfold it, uh, you stretch it to the sides, and then you pull the vertical part of the liner up to the rim. This particular liner was a snap-in liner. And so once my brother and I got it stretched out, ready to start putting water in the bottom of it, we pulled up the sides, and it was uh, eight inches from the top of the pool. And every pool liner that I've done previously has always reached to the top of the pool. I'm sorry, wh what is your profession? What do you do for a living? I remodel homes. And I was uh, okay. probably one of the first things I, I explained to the defendant that I remodel homes. And I get, I get calls from people all the time because either somebody wants to charge them $1,800 or $1,200 to install their liner, or they can install it for three or four months until the summer's over and they miss a swimming season. So when I can fit it in, um, I do fit it in, and I've never had a problem um, thus far. Here's, here's my question. How often do you install liners? Not often. I've done maybe 10. I did three, three last year, and I did about six this year. And every liner that okay. I installed fit fit properly. It was an easy install. And like I said, I is a snap-in liner something new for you or no? Uh, it was the second one that I've done. The first one, I thought it actually makes it a lot simpler. Okay. All right. So you conclude based on your visual that it's the wrong liner. Do you call the company that sold it to him and go over it because they sold him the pool, so they know what liner to send him? So well, did you go over that with them or? He actually called them. He explained, and then I actually finally got on the phone with the technician, actually the owner of the company, and he said that these pool liners will stretch. And I told him that there's no way this pool liner is going to stretch that much. And like I said, I remodel homes, Your Honor. Um, I did this on a Sunday afternoon, trying to help this gentleman out. Uh, he has a bunch of grandkids. So what well, do you I mean, that's that's fine if you're qualified to do it. If you're not qualified to do it, then don't get in over your head. So what happens on Sunday? He says wrong liner, and what happens? Actually, it was on Saturday, and I did call the company, and I complained about it and said, he's telling me it's the wrong liner. I don't have any idea. They said they've never sent the wrong liner in the wrong box. Make a long story short, the liner didn't get installed that day. That's the guy that installed it. It is the same liner. So um, there's the right there, that picture right there. That's from uh, Great Escape. And if you zoom in on six inches, that's, and he said, that that seems supposed to be at the bottom. And no, it wasn't. Uh, Great Escape said that that's, that seems should be where? Right, right where they're saying, six inches from the bottom. See there, see there's a seam right there, and there's the bottom of the pool. And they said that's a six inch difference. Oh, I see. And I got a video okay. ours after it was installed, right? Well, what happens between when he leaves, the plan is to figure out if it's the wrong liner. And then what happens, Mr. Brown? Part of my pool's in the ground. That's one side ended up collapsing um, because we it got collapses. a bunch of heavy rain. Yep. Okay. When does the collapse of the side of the pool happen in relation to when the defendant had been there? Uh, How much later? Uh, he left Saturday probably about 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening, and this happened sometime between Sunday night and Monday morning. Okay, isn't that kind of risky, Mr. F uh, Fote? 
to leave it halfway like that and not reinforce it in any way? Isn't it predictable that something like what ended up happening would happen? Because now it's going to cost more because of it caving. When we got there, Your Honor, the, the pool walls were already collapsing. So, yeah. Do you have pictures? No, ma'am, I do not. I don't. Let me ask you, Mr. Brown, was your pool already collapsing like he says? No, ma'am. There's a picture from May 15th that I sent you that Friday night that shows it standing with a little bit of water in the bottom. That's the one I sent him that Friday, but I got another one, too, from May 9th. Okay. Let me ask you a question. You end up hiring uh, another contractor to install the liner, correct? Yes, ma'am. All right. And do you have uh, anything from that other contractor that tells us whether or not, according to you, that other contractor used the same liner. It was the right liner. It was just being installed incorrectly by Mr. Fote, correct? Yes. Okay, so this is a handwritten bill of sale by the individual who placed it in, who says uh, that you paid him $1,600 cash for pool, pool liner to be installed, and he had to also fix the wall of the pool with replacement parts, and there was nothing wrong with the liner. It fit perfectly. Who is the person who installed it? Tony. And Tony is from what? The original pool company who had installed it the first time? He didn't install it the first time, but yes, he works for that. But he's with the company. So now we know that it costs, uh, well, how much of that 1600 was to fix the problem that it caved in, and how much was for installing the liner? Do you know? He didn't break it down, honestly. So I, I right. can honestly tell you. But I, I, I'm going to guess that they charge more than three or $400 to install a liner. I'm assuming so. I never <laughs> did that. why he called me in the first Probably. Place. Yeah, I know. Uh, we have a saying in Spanish, lo barato sale caro. The cheap comes out expensive. But you also have an obligation, Mr. Fote, not to take a job that you can't do. And, and he has this statement from the person who installed it, who's the company who sent it to him, who always said it's the right liner, but Mr. Fote doesn't know how to install this liner. So now we have a situation where someone else had to come in and install it, and we also have a situation where there were some consequential damages as a result of leaving, of, of mistakenly thinking that it wasn't the right size liner, you know, because it ends up caving in. We've even got a video of the guy installing it. So I got different contractors coming today, which is Sunday, to put the liner in that the other contractor said that wouldn't fit. So now let's see what this is. There's your seam. There's the water. Okay. You see the seam up there? That's yep. exactly right. About six yeah. inches up. So the seam should be six inches up as opposed to down. That's what, just a second, sir. Apparently, the people that sold him it went out there, installed it. You're very happy with the liner. The seam is, is higher than the, the 90 degree angle or whatever it is. Um, that's where it's supposed to be, according to them, and it fit perfectly when that happened. So they ended up being right, that it's the correct liner, right? Okay, all right. Now, what, why are you suing, though, for 2,000-something dollars? You're, you paid him how much? 300. Right, but if you get his 300 back and he pays you 1,600, you got a pool liner installed for nothing, plus 1,000 in distress. You know, you know that's kind of greedy. Well, yeah, it is kind of greedy, but 
The point of the matter is, is if the pool liner would have gotten stalled the day that he was here, yeah. it wouldn't Absolutely. have been when they came here. Right. So what you're out is the 1600 you had to pay somebody else to get it installed properly, right? Plus your court costs. So I'm finding in your favor, and the amount is $1,600 that you had to pay the second contractor to install the very same liner, and of course your court costs. Good luck, folks. Thank you. So the plaintiff prevails. He doesn't get the $2,900 he was seeking. He gets $1,600. Let's talk to Mr. Fote, the defendant in this case. Mr. Fote, what do you think about the outcome? Well, I, I, I believe I probably should have had a little more evidence uh, prepared and ready. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I remodel homes. So I'm not really a pool guy. I respect the judge's decision. Thank you very much. Sorry it didn't work out in your favor. Mr. Brown, how do you feel? You're not getting $2,900, but you did win the case. What about that? Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, yeah, that's what it is. At least I got uh, recouped most of my money back. Bottom line, how is the pool today? Oh, it's lovely. Definitely nice. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Congratulations. Good enough. All right. That'll wrap it up for this case. Let's uh, let's have some more after the verdict conversation now between Judge Melian and her husband, Judge John. <laughs> Marilyn, you mentioned uh, that you were awarding some consequential damages in this case, and consequential damages typically are when someone who's a party to a contract doesn't live up to their end of the bargain and there are consequences that are foreseeable uh, to that, right? Right. So, so um, all this defendant had made was those $300. So in his mind, well, I'll just get back the $300. But no, if your negligence, and I found this to be his negligence, that he just didn't know how to install this liner, if your negligence causes further damage, which was the caving in of the sides of the pool because of all the rains, then you're got to pay for that. In other words, if it turned out to have been the wrong liner, he wouldn't have had to pay anything. That sure. wouldn't have been his fault. But if it did turn out to be the correct liner and he misjudged, then he has to pay the consequential damage. Of course. And I got the impression that you thought that maybe the price was a little too good to be true on the front end of it. Yeah. And I think that people need to understand that. And, you know, that's, that's kind of why you need more than one estimate. Right. Get yeah. two or three estimates two or three and figure estimates. out so whether it is too it, good to be true. Right, because if it is too good to be true, you know, then it's not true. That it, it's, that's what's going on. So whenever there's a construction project, you get two or three estimates, and then you kind of have the ballpark. Why do different states have different maximum amounts you can sue for in small claims courtrooms across the country? Well, they are different laws because they are different states. And this is a system of government where each state can make decisions on how much people can sue for in what court. There are certain courtrooms, courthouses uh, in some states where you can sue for $10,000 and others where you can sue for a thousand bucks, maybe a little more. You have to look at the law online in your state. That will do it for this case. Litigants are inside the courtroom for the next case. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
This is the plaintiff, Lynn Larkin. She says she purchased a Mercedes from her neighbor, and they agreed that once the car was checked out, they would agree on a price depending on the repairs it needed. When the car came out of the shop, the mechanic handed her a bill for over $1,500, and the defendant told her he would give her only 250 bucks to cover the repairs. Huh? Is he kidding? She's suing for $1,291.50, the full amount of the repairs. This is the defendant, Jay Grutman. He says he sold his neighbor his mother-in-law's Mercedes, and then a few weeks later, she presents him with a repair bill, of all things. She says the car needed. He did agree to give her 250 bucks to be neighborly, but over $1,500? No way. He's accused of flaking out on a Mercedes. All parties, please use your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiff says her neighbor, the defendant, ripped her off on a Mercedes that he sold her. She's not going to take it lying down. But the defendant says she knew what she was getting into because it was a very, very old car. It's the case of a bad case. I think it's been sworn, Your Honor. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Ms. Larkin, so you yes, and Mr. Grutman are neighbors? Yes, we live in the same condo building. Okay. So, Mr. Grutman, at some point in time, you had a car that you were selling, correct? Uh, correct, Your Honor. And what is the car? What kind of car was it? It was a 1997 E320 Mercedes. And I what agreement do car... you arrive at for the price? I told Ms. Larkin that the car would be $3,000, which was less than what the book value was. and that What I, was the book was, value? I believe the book value was around $3,400. And I asked Ms. Larkin to please make sure she has her own um, mechanic look at the car because it had no warranties of any type, which she agreed to do and which she did drive the car to her mechanic with me um, in the neighboring town. The mechanic looked at the vehicle, drove the vehicle, put the vehicle on his lift, inspected the vehicle for nearly 40 minutes came back into his office, told Ms. Larkin that he inspected the exhaust system, the tires, other components, front end, and that there were no um, uh, uh, rust areas, leakage, um, and that the car, in his estimation, only needed an alignment because uh, when it exceeded 65 miles an hour, when he was driving it, there was a shimmy in the steering wheel, and that it needed either a window switch, an electric window switch, or a motor in the rear passenger area of the car. Okay. So what do you and Ms. Yes. Larkin uh, decide that you're going to do about that? When Ms. Larkin drove the car back to our respective residence, she asked me if I could do better on the price, which I said yes. I'm happy to reduce the price by an additional $300, bringing the car to $2,700. Ms. Larkin agreed that that was fair, gave me a $500 deposit, which was on April 2nd of 2020, and asked if I, she could pay the $2,200 balance on or about May 15th, 2020, which she paid, I believe it was on the 16th of May, uh, at which time I gave her the title 
and the bill of sale, which was clearly marked as is. Exactly what was the agreement that you would reduce uh, because of the repairs? It was $300 that I reduced the price from $3,000 to $2,700. Okay, Ms. Larkin, what is your version of that story? According to you, okay, what was uh, your agreement with him? Uh, first of all, the mechanic that I took it to uh, was a mechanic that I, I used for my American car. And when we got there, he said he didn't know anything about taking care of a Mercedes. He, you know, he could... Well, why'd take you a look take at it to him? Why didn't you pick a mechanic that does know how to take care of Mercedes? Why would you take <laughs> it to the wrong know. mechanic? <laughs> the whole point. What do you mean you didn't know? This is like, you know, left foot in front of the right foot. If you're taking it to a mechanic to make sure you want to buy it, take it to a guy who knows what he's doing, right? You can't take it to my hairdresser. She's not going to be able to tell you if you should buy it. Anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. So, well, uh, that turned out to be uh, an issue, but uh, he, so he did not say any of the things that the defendant said he drove it about two blocks and so he never got it up to speed he didn't know there was any shimmy he had no idea uh anything about the back window there was uh, nothing about that so uh what the um outcome with him was basically uh you know it, it looks like it's running okay and it looks like there's no oil leaks or rust i had driven it up there and noticed that when we got up to speed uh, like 45 or so, it pulled to the right a little bit, and there was a shimmy. And a lot of times that Ms. can Larkin, be... Ms. Larkin, Ms. Larkin, Ms. Larkin, you notice whatever you notice, and then you negotiate the price. And what agreement do you guys come to? Uh, he agreed. Uh, he said there was a place down the street on US-1 that had uh, alignments available for $45 on Wednesdays if you made an appointment. <laughs> so um, we were starting kind of low because uh, the part that he showed me on eBay was not actually the correct part. He was sending me pictures of a, a different Ms. Larkin, part. Ms. Larkin, why don't you, why don't you just work your way out of the paper bag yourself? Why don't you take the car to a real mechanic who knows Mercedes, who tells you it's going to cost you X, and then you decide, I don't want to buy the car. The car is not right, only yeah. old enough to vote, the car is old enough to drink. Okay, it's a collector's <laughs> item. I know. Okay, but I'm, I'm just you like everything seems to be somebody else's problem when it's really yours. How is it a Mr. Grutman problem? Because in the end, what happens is you get a deduction, you negotiate the deduction, and it ends up costing you a lot more than that. And now you want him to pay a thousand something dollars so that he ends up selling you his Mercedes instead of for three thousand or 2007, he ends up selling it for a thousand something when the blue book value is 3,400. So you're going to have to prove that. If you want me to believe that the agreement between you guys was not as he says, let's reduce it by 300, uh, that's my concession to you. If you want me to believe that it's what your complaint says, which is, let's go over that, it's 300 now and we'll adjust it later when I get the final bill. I know that's what you asked in an email. I know you said that in an email twice. I'm gonna have to see where he agrees to that because every response I see to your emails is him saying, here's a picture, here's what it costs, let's assume another X for labor, here's what I'll do. And then you buy the car and you hand him the check. And then your paperwork with him doesn't say anything about, oh, but I reserve the right to pay half because I got a window. Your paperwork says as is. 
The paperwork doesn't, as first of all, doesn't say as is, and we never agreed to. Does as it say is. it's warranty? Could... Just a second. Does it say there's a warranty? No, no. Okay. There's no then warranty. Then it, the default position on any sale of a used car, if there's not a warranty, is that it is as is. But go ahead. Right, but unless you have freedom to actually uh, agree with the person that you're dealing with to make a Absolutely. separate. Absolutely. And now watch this. Yeah. Did you agree that you'd pay whatever it is that the mechanic charges, that the mechanics she eventually took it to, who did a bunch of, did you agree to pay for that work, sir? No. No, I, I okay. didn't even know about it. And that's why we're here, because you say he did, and you're right. The parties have the freedom to, to agree and contract to whatever in the world can happen, including that he pays you to take the car. It's a free country. The parties can agree to it. You, however, my dear woman, are going to have to prove it, because he says that's not what happened. Do you have any evidence to support your position? You wrote a great complaint. Are you a former lawyer? Do you have a lawyer? Help you? What was the deal with that? Yeah, I'm an attorney. <laughs> but but come on. I mean, you're an attorney, so I expect you to know that even more than was it. You got to show me proof that the guy agreed to that. He denies it, and you're you're stone cold dead on the emails. So my verdict in this case is for the defendant. Good luck. Thank you, Your Honor. So the uh, the defendant prevails, Ms. Larkin. You're the plaintiff. You're a lawyer. And you lost. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, it's unfortunate, uh, certainly. Um, I, I didn't get to discuss the other emails that showed uh, his agreeing to uh, and my attempts to get him to go to another mechanic. Uh, there's quite a bit here that is right. I guess I didn't get to produce. I don't well, get it. we can't relitigate the case now. The judge has made her decision. You're just going to have to live with it. So I'm sorry. Yes. Mr. Gutman, how, how do you feel about the outcome of the case? Let me ask you. I agreed on a price that she agreed on a price of 2700 I was trying to be neighborly. I gave her an additional $250. She cashed the check. And then a couple of days later, she tried suing me in court on civil theft and fraud for three times the damages. And, well, things are now settled. I'm sure that kind of shocked you when you got that. <laughs> no question about uh, that. That's an understatement. <laughs> sure. Well, congratulations, sir. You have won the case. Thank Good you. for you. Thank you very kind. All right. Let's, you. You're welcome. Let's join the judges now for another session of After the Verdict. That's kind of interesting, i got to tell you, because he, I saw that he had offered to pay her 250 because he was being neighborly. I didn't right. realize she cashed the check right. and then ran out and filed the lawsuit, which is right. kind of, it's, right. it, it feels abusive because the whole idea behind that payment is that you're settling things. Right. And, and, that's and, outrageous. Wow, that's uh, not quite neighborly. That'll show him to pay an additional $250 to his neighbor. Wow. Right. Well, you know, this, in this instance, you have somebody buying a 23-year-old car. Right. And, and look, I love used cars. I'm a used car guy. You know I buy used cars. I sell them sometimes. And I didn't buy a new car until I was almost 30 years old after we were married. And uh, you can get into trouble with some of them. And they can, they can cost you a lot of money. So caveat emptor, buyer, beware. Right? Terrence B. from Albany says, I remember when Jerry Scheinland was the judge in the People's Court. Was Judge Judy okay with that? Yes, she was. Uh, they have a great relationship, and um, she was she was really um, supporting him um, to this day. 
Um, it is such an interesting relationship because when you get two lawyers in the same house, there's a lot of arguing, but in that case, there's a lot of love. That'll do it for this case. Litigants are inside the courtroom for another case. This is the plaintiff, Stephanie Sarabia. She says she rented a room in the defendant's house on a month-to-month basis, and everything was fine while she lived there. She ended up moving out, and now the defendant won't return her full security deposit and is now claiming she never paid a security deposit. She doesn't know what kind of scam this guy thinks he's running, but she won't be bamboozled out of her money and is suing him for the $700 she's rightfully owed. This is the defendant, Gregory. He says the plaintiff missed one month's rent, so he used her security to cover the one month she didn't pay. She did pay a $700 broker's fee when she moved in. Broker's fees are non-refundable, and he simply owes this woman zero. He's accused of holding on tight to a renter's money. All parties, please use your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiff says she rented a room in the defendant's house and the guy turned out to be a total scammer and ended up stealing her money. But the defendant says the woman moved out early. She is due no refunds and he thinks the judge will agree. It's the case of a refund. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Okay, Ms. Saravia. Uh, So you rented an apartment that you found where on Craigslist? Yes. And Mr. Gregory was your landlord. You lived there for how long without a problem? Two years. Now, there was a written lease, correct, between the two of you that was a month-to-month lease and sort of spelled out what it is that everybody was doing, correct? Yes. All right. How much did you pay when you went into the deal? Did you pay first, last, and security? Yes. All right. Mr. Gregory, according to her, she paid first, last, and security. Are you saying that she didn't? Um, I'm saying she paid no, she'd have, she didn't pay that. She paid first, security, and fee. So she did pay $2,100. You agree with that. But you're saying that yes. one of them was a fee. Okay, I'm going right. to need you to prove that if that's your defense. Because nor- Are you a, a realtor? Yes. Okay, I'm going to need you to prove that one of them was a fee as opposed to first, last, and security, which is normally what people do when they pay the three months. So I'm looking right. at, is there somewhere in the lease where it says that, you know, you're a broker and that that other 700 was your fee? Right. It was on a Craigslist. I normally, when I put my ads up, I typically um, put the security. And there's a then section where they say, there's a section Yeah, darling, you're going to need to prove My dear, okay. you're going to need to prove okay. it. So show me where she would have known that she was paying you a realtor fee when you're her actual landlord. Do you have a license as a realtor? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I had the license of that back then. I'm not a realtor now. Okay. So um, now what I need to know is, I need to know how she would have been on notice that she was paying your realtor's fee and not last month. Uh, When she called me verbally, um, they they always ask me, you know, what's the three ways for? Watch this, hold on. Verbally, did anybody tell you that the other month, that the other 700 was going to be his fee for renting his own place to you? Or, right, see, that's what what we're going to do with verbally. Now what I need is some other proof. Um, Like, is is that in the the lease between you two? It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the lease that I gave her. It's on the lease. Okay, can I see it? I don't have the lease on me. I do not have the lease. Okay. 
I know, and I've looked at the lease, and I'm, I, I don't really feel like um, engaging in a um, scavenger hunt because the lease I looked at doesn't say what you're saying. The lease I looked at from 2017, which, frankly, if you're a realtor, I'm stunned that you don't keep copies of it. Do you have any evidence to show me today that you are a realtor or that you were a realtor? Um, back a year, two years ago, I don't have evidence. No, yeah. I don't have nothing on me. Well, yeah, it's your I defense, right? It's your defense. That's yeah. your defense, right? So right. kind of right. might have been on notice that you needed to do that. Um, I am looking at receipts. Might you have written on the receipt that, because there's nothing in Definitely. the lease that says that she has to pay you a broker's fee. So strike one. It's not in the lease. Now let's see if it's on the receipt. So, of course, you would have had the habit of writing on the receipt that it's a broker fee, right? Right. Okay, so show me your receipts. I don't have that receipt with you. Oh, you don't have receipts. Okay, do you have receipts, Ms. Saravia? Yes, I submitted them. Okay, here are the receipts. The first one just says $700, balance $1,400. Now let's see the second receipt, which says $1,400. Oh, does that say anything about uh, broker's fee? No, it says rent. That's right. Which would mean that this 700 is something other than rent, and this 1400 is rent, correct? Right. Because you wrote rent. Right. And then so when we combine that and look at the lease, which specifically says that she's paying a $700 security deposit, then I guess that third thing is, in fact, a security deposit. So we have strike one, the contract doesn't say it. Strike two, the receipts don't say it. And now let us talk about strike three. When you are leaving, you actually get him to sign something saying he's going to return your $700, correct? Yes. And why? Why did you write that up? As a professional, I always write everything down. And okay. um, he told me because I was a good tenant, he would take the loss in his words and he would but give why me the loss? security back. Oh. Okay, why loss, though? Words. Was he claiming the same... Th right, he was claiming the same thing that, oh, that was a broker fee or whatever, right? Right, because I never knew that he was even a broker or in real estate until I left. Yeah, look at that. Okay, oh, right, there's strike four. You didn't have anything to prove you were ever in real estate and entitled to it. Now, let's go to the little document that you signed for her telling her that you were going to return all of her money. Does that sound familiar to you, what I'm saying about a, a contract that you wrote when she was leaving, telling her that you would return her entire $700? Yes. Oh, okay. It's the one with your signature on it that says, as agreed, a security deposit of $700 will be returned no later than January 15th. Did you get it? No later than January 15th? No. Miss Saravia? No. So here we are now, way into 2020, okay, the year that we'll live in infamy, and you still haven't paid her. We made one, a, a second agreement. We made the agreement, let's meet halfway. Did you ever agree to take less? I agreed to take 100 less if I would get it at a certain time, but he would never agree to that time. And then he didn't pay. It was, it was he, so he then you have no agreement. But on top of that, did you ever, Mr. Gregory, even send the 350? She didn't give me a chance to. She said, I'm going to take you to I'm sorry. Uh, wait, I'm sorry, but there's a strike five. I lost count of the strikes. 
You are in the state of New York. Did you ever send her a written document itemizing why you were keeping her security deposit, which the lease calls Did a security I, deposit? No, I, I didn't send her no written Okay, well, for the last year, New York now requires its landlords, if they intend to keep a security deposit, to send a written notice itemizing the reasons why. That alone is the reason you're not going to keep her security deposit, as if everything else wasn't enough. But furthermore, and Ms. Saravia, you are just a peach and didn't even ask for this, but I'm going to do something that's pretty rare, which is I'm going to make your pleadings conform to the evidence. And the evidence is that your landlord is kind of a jerk, okay? <laughs> because he doesn't have a stitch of evidence to support anything he's saying, and he doesn't even have a stitch of evidence, okay? So the New York law also allows for punitive damages. And I am going to order him not only to pay you back the $700, I am going to order another $300 in punitive damages for a sum total of $1,000 verdict for the plaintiff. Pay the lady. Well, this is a very good day for the plaintiff in this case. Not so good for Mr. Gregory, the defendant. Let's see what he feels about it. Mr. Gregory, how are you feeling right now? Yes. What do you think about what the judge just said? Mm. Not too good, you know, not too good at all. Sometimes you people get taken advantage of all the time, and you know, so. Well, you didn't get taken advantage of. You had an obligation to pay her, you know, pay her back the security deposit, and, and you didn't do it on time. And you couldn't prove you were a broker. That was another thing that really hurt you. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to get her $1,000 back, not the $700. It's, it's even worse for you, okay? Let's find out how Ms. Sarajevo feels about it. Uh, yeah, I've been dealing with this since the beginning of the year, so I'm just happy to have it over with. I mean, good for you that you saved all the copies of the receipts and everything and the leases and then you submitted them to the judge. That really is what helped save your case. Good for you. You're, obviously, you're very smart in that area, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I keep everything. You never know when you'll need it. Exactly. You never know when you'll need it. Well, congratulations. You're the winner. You're going to take home $1,000 now. It's $300 more than you thought you were going to get. All right. Let's find out how the judges feel about this now. Let's join Judge Millian and her husband, John, who in real life is also a judge, for another session of After the Verdict. So a little disagreement here about the character of the $700 of yeah. that payment. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty transparent in your eyes. She was like the dream plaintiff, and he was like the nightmare defendant. Right. I got nothing. Yeah, because I say so. And she had every stitch of documentation from receipts to leases to contracts with him agreeing that he would pay. Right. And it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's either you, can, you can call a tennis racket a machine gun, but at the end of the day, it's still a tennis racket. And here the decision was, look, hey, it's either a broker's fee or it's a security deposit. And all the evidence, as you said, pointed to security deposit. Absolutely. And interestingly, you said, I want to amend the pleadings to conform to the proof, which a judge can do. Right. And that's when the plaintiff asks for too little. Right. So she was so nice and she wasn't even asking for punitives. But there are just some situations where punitives are appropriate. Did you ever, when you were a judge, uh, give any punitives? I can't remember. Rarely. Yeah, and it's rare. And in this rare, instance, but... you, you made a modest amount, just $300 on top of the $700. But, uh, Would you have given more, do you think? Because uh, he was pretty, maybe I should have given I, more. <laughs> I, I might have caught a little higher, but, you know, uh, I think it was worthwhile and appropriate to give her the 300 Yeah.
Can you please explain a verbal contract? Lots of times I make a handshake deal with someone. Is that considered binding? The answer is yes. You can have an oral contract in most states for just about anything, not real property. But if you have a contract, you could write it on a napkin. You could talk about it orally. But the thing is, you got to prove it.